She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. As an introvert, I would probably be more interested in the idea of the chair, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Like, sometimes you hear a CEO say that, like, about a business, like, I want to be the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. Doesn't work in a poker setting, there, you don't want to be the dumbest person in the room. (laughs) Just putting that there. That is when uh, you're the fish. Roxanne, we have a new review. <laughs> really? <laughs> We've been waiting for that for a while. You guys were yes. taking a break there. Thank and you. Who is it from? It's from Mixter77. Mixter. Thank you, Mixter. I have a feeling I know who this is, but I'm not going to put myself out on a limb. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it might not be who we think it is. But whoever you are, Mixter77. We salute you. Yes. Mixter77 gave us five stars. Five stars. And the title of his review was Engaging, Thoughtful, and Authentic. Oh. Which are like three of my favorite words. I just, I love that they're they're said about our podcast. (laughs) You know, I love those words and they're said about our podcast. Here's what he said. I really enjoy this podcast. It's well done. A great blend of ideas, humor, and some incredible stories. It routinely seems to spur introspection. I recommend it for all. Oh, melts my heart. Beautiful review. Oh, that's so awesome. I just love when people re- like say this, like ideas, stories, and humor. It's like, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. It seems to be working. And sometimes people say it better than we can <laughs> describe our own podcast. I really love reading it. So thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for taking the time to leave a review. This means a lot. And uh, yeah. And welcome to a brand new episode of Far Out Podcast. Welcome, welcome. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful day here. I don't know about you. I don't know. Maybe you're in a blizzard, so sorry, man. (laughs) You know, it is beautiful in its own way. Yeah, it is. What are we talking about this week? Well, this week, we're responding to a phrase that we have heard a lot in our lives, or at least I have, and and actually lived from at one point. Yeah. Uh, It's the phrase, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And while there is a kernel of truth there, and we'll talk about that too, we want to kind of deconstruct this and point out how, no, you're not the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And underneath that idea are some other ideas that we think taken out of context or used as a general philosophy for life are very dangerous. So we go into that quite a bit. We go in depth. We go in places we weren't really sure we would go in. And it's it's been quite interesting to... It's helped us reflect on what we're doing as well. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, because I think at the end of it, it's a shift we're also trying to make in our lives. Fundamental shift in attitude. And I think it's a spiritual belief about how the world works. If you enjoy getting a peek into our weird, way too deep thinking brains... This, Just, this is a good one. This is a thinker. Put your thinking caps on, people. 
Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, Alistair. Good morning, everyone. Hi, wherever you are, whatever time of day this is for you. We're happy you're here. It's great to have you here. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the topic of today, we have a special shout out to give first and foremost to our dear friend Apusha, who as of a week ago is our newest patron on Patreon. Woo! Thank you so much, Apusha! Apusha, just Apusha is an incredible woman. She, I suspect that she's not from planet Earth. Yes, she is like super, she's like bionic woman, superwoman, something like this. She is insane. She has a full-time job, raises two kids, gets up at five in the morning to do all the meal prepping and all the food. I don't know how, I don't know how she does it, but she seems to be fine. Yeah. I would crumble to death. She came with us on our Yosemite retreat last yes. year and just totally kicked ass. She's she's kind of a machine. She's in a incredible. Way. She intimidates me sometimes. She's so strong and yeah. powerful. I yeah. love her. And she, I she's also a, so kind. Yeah, a lot of respect for that woman. She's yeah. just she's so kind and supportive, and we feel extremely honored that she is now part of our patrons. And if you're interested in becoming a patron yourself, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the far out couple. We have tons of goodies accessible at the three dollars level yeah and there's a growing tribe of interesting people over there yes yes now oh, that's exciting so thank you again apusha thank you so much apusha we love you and on another note we felt we had to address something that we did wrong apparently in two separate episodes oh hang on hang on so <laughs> <laughs> you may be surprised listener to note that this little podcast takes four people to put together every week now yes. there's four of us yes uh, we have Urosh, our editor, you and I as co-hosts and producers and all blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And uh, our newest uh, team member is Mira. Yes. And Mira is Urosh's partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she helps us with some, kind of the marketing side of it. Yes, she does what I just unfortunately do not have the time to do anymore, which is really cool to say. I'm so busy, I don't have to do, I don't have the time to do this anymore. She finds all these like little snippets of the conversations that I'm able to put on Instagram to uh, to show you a peek into the episode that's coming out that week. Yeah, and recently Mira's had some feedback for us. <laughs> so Mira's <laughs> awesome, by the way. Like I know she's gonna listen to this. Mira is. I'm enjoying working with her very much. I. I also enjoy working with Urosh, Urosh, our, our lovely editor. Uh, but Mira sent this message recently, and I'm going to read it to you because it was great. Hey guys, as a big fan of Tolkien, I have to react. The first time was hard for me, my heart was aching, but now one more episode. And then she put the, sm- the the emojis of the heartbreak. And I was starting to get really freaked out when I read this. I was like, oh my God, what, what did we do? And then she's like, sadness is overwhelming. Not knowing Galadriel's name is a sin. <laughs> and then she put a, a bunch of smiling emojis. And Mira and I really love to uh, uh, chat through emojis, which is awesome. But yeah, so... Urush and me, not so much. We're not so much emoji people. We try, but it's just not so authentic. It took, I think uh, it took a, it took maybe a year for Urush to find the, the thank you emoji. <laughs> your hands. He was like, I finally found it. Um, so yeah, so apparently on two, two different episodes in the past, we have mentioned that awesome scene in uh, The Lord of the Rings where Galadriel 
just gets all crazy and tells Frodo that wouldn't be awesome to have a, a queen instead of She's it. a super powerful wood elf. Yeah. And, and Frodo at one point almost offers her the ring of power. Yeah. And then she turns into this, she kind of says, you would make a witch, a queen, <laughs> a dark queen instead of a dark king and gets all spooky and she's a badass character. She is. And we just forgot her name and, and, Obviously, it is a sin to forget her name. So this is us making amends, saying sorry to the spirit of Galadriel, but mainly saying sorry to Mira. Yeah, yeah. and any of you who felt the same. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about today? All right. Today's kind of an interesting one, I think. So <laughs> this conversation actually got started when our, our good friend Lou Redmond was here. Yes. And I said something that got kind of a lot of uh, a lot of pushback. He, he wanted me to explain myself. Yes. And it turned into a bit of a rant. And there's a lot of energy there. And I'm, it made me realize that I think it's worth talking about this. Uh-huh. And this is the idea of you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm. And I, my claim basically to Lou, which got a reaction, was you're not the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think I need to preface this a little bit about like where I'm coming from with this. And if you haven't heard this, it's a pretty rampant claim or kind of belief. It's one of those ones you've seen so much that it must be true kind yeah. of thing. It just becomes true because it's been seen so much. I think I think the source of it was Jim Rohn. I think it's something he used to say. He, so Jim Rohn was one of the like personal, he was one of the first or one of the early personal development gurus. I think he was running back in the 90s, maybe even earlier, maybe mm-hmm. the 80s too. He was Tony Robbins' mentor. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I re- and and he gave a lot of talks like they're on YouTube, they're like 4 hours long. And and he's got quite a, quite a kind of style. Um and I used to I used to watch him when I was in my early 20s, I would say. And and I used to also quote this idea, especially yeah. in my in the first community I was building, which was for professionals and entrepreneurs, we use this all the time. It's just because everyone had heard it, and you can just say it, and it's like, oh, what do you say to that? It was yeah. like, it's a great art. Like we thought it was a great kind of slogan for what we were doing. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. So you spend time with better people, right? And so it's very rampant. In personal development circles. Mm-hmm. If you're in the personal growth area, if you're in business, it's, pro- it's pretty rampant there. But for that that world that I came from, you, you couldn't go very long without hearing this statement. Yeah. And I think it's still pretty true. And I think, like, I think if you look at it just quickly, if you, if you don't give it too much thought or if you don't deconstruct it, then there's... It makes sense. It does on some level. I feel like it makes sense in my brain. Well, that's that's what I think is particularly insidious or dangerous about this slogan yeah. is that it's very memorable. Yeah. And it's it's like, oh, we all get it. It's like, oh, yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. It's so accessible. Mm-hmm. And so it sticks. Yeah. And so we start saying it and then we start living from it. And there's truth in it, right? There, We all... There, that's the thing also is that there there is a kernel of truth to this idea, which is basically, uh, which can be expressed in different ways. But it's like, you know, if you're hanging around a bunch of a bunch of kind of dopey alcoholics or something, chances are you might be a dopey alcoholic, yeah. right? Like if you want to make a big change and we know this experience, 
you often have to get rid of the bad influences. Mm -hmm. This is a whole like crabs in a bucket phenomenon where one crab tries to get out of the bucket, all the other ones pull it back down. And then on the other side of this, we also know that we can realize more of our potential when we're in a group of high achievers or when we're in a group of inspiring people, right? Like, so, so it does seem, it's like, so it has a lot of truth. And on a surface level, it works. And if you've listened to our episode with Kelly Marjoram, we talk about this because this is a slogan, as you said, that you that you had in the community that you were both a part of. Yeah. And I think that it has been true to some extent for both of you that at least changing your environment has allowed you to achieve more and to change maybe your outlook on life. Yeah. And so and so and then so Lou's kind of criticism here was like, yeah, so so maybe you're reading a little too far into this, yeah. right? And I think Lou's got a point there. Like for some, that's all it means and it's instructive for that. But my point is that I think it's dangerous because I think we need to be really careful about the words we choose. And there's other ideas in this slogan and the slogan has pro- proliferated mm-hmm. and it's influencing us in a lot of ways and we may not be aware of it. And so we want to unpack um, a few... We. We basically would like to attack this slogan from a couple different perspectives where I think we'll highlight uh, the ways it's a bit deficient and the ways it can actually be damaging to the very things that people use it to try to promote. Yeah. So we're probably going to go in ranking of kind of like most trivial or I I don't think any of them are trivial, but the... Maybe the one that's least important to one we think might be the most important. I think as we discuss this, because this was more something that was very lively for you. I've never heard this slogan before I met you. No. I've I had no idea, and to some extent, it, I don't have a huge, you know, like emotional relationship to this slogan. It, it, it doesn't mean anything to me, or I, I get it, but it's like, yeah, okay, fine. I'm not. It doesn't feel like this. Oh, like truth that I have to live from. But I think you particularly, you seem to have experienced situations where that slogan gets taken out of its like original, maybe business context and gets applied to maybe all areas of life. Yeah, that's the threat is that it's starting to be used, that, that it's starting to be used outside of context where maybe it's more true. And we're just using it as a, a general guidance for yeah. the way we live our lives. And I think that's where it can get dangerous and it can actually do us a disservice. And as we talked about it when we were preparing for this episode, we realized there's a few different layers. And first layer of this deconstruction, I feel, led us to this extrovert-introvert dichotomy. Yeah, it's important to point out that this is an extremely extroverted statement that's being made. Very true. Okay, so let me just break this down for a second. And so also important to point out that it's going to work for extroverts, that this actually may be very close to like a fundamental truth for extroverts. Yes. Especially Tony Robbins folks. (laughs) And let me me explain what I mean by this. Yeah. So if you think about introvert and extrovert on a very basic level, then the, the nature of being extroverted means that you value the object over the subject. The object being... Outside of you. Outside of you. Are, are there also can be internal objects, but but the object is, there's the subject and there's the object. And, you th- and, and the extrovert values the object over the subject. Yes. That's dominant for them. Yes. This is what it means to be an extrovert. So there's different ways of being extroverted, which is why people get very confused if they're extroverted, introverted, and all these things. I'm not going to go into that ton here. But so it's about being 
about valuing and, and, and prioritizing that object first. Yeah. The introvert is the other way around. They prioritize the subject first. And so the subject's relation to the object. Mm -hmm. And so this is where you get into kind of the realm of ideas. Like the idea is kind of like a, almost a mediary to the object. It's the subject's idea of the object that matters. The subject's impression of the object that matters. Yeah, not the object itself. That's what you were saying yesterday. I think you said something like... Uh, it, it, introverts are more interested in their their relationship to the object than the object itself. Yeah, let me give a let me give like a example of this because mm -hmm. I think it'll be helpful. Yeah, is I see a chair in our room right now. Yes, uh, and I'm gonna just to kind of give some concrete example, but it's a it's a bit of a, a overdone example. But I'm looking at this chair as an extrovert. My actual like interest in the chair would be the chair the sensations of the chair, the way the chair is, all these things. As an introvert, I would probably be more interested in the idea of the chair, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, that is a great example to pick because it's like, wow, that guy's interested in the idea of a chair. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it's what the chair inspires in me yes. in, and what I think about the I like, chair. I agree. Uh, whereas an extrovert would be more like, in the actual features of the chair. Yes. And so bringing this back to you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, in a way, this is going to feel more true for an extrovert because in a real way, they actually do find themselves in the object, in the external world. Mm -hmm. So when they spend time with other people, it's almost as if their identity is kind of, is, is kind of glued or stuck to some of the, ob the objects they're experiencing. They yes. actually find themselves through the world. Yes. And that's natural for an extrovert and, the, and fine. Yeah. So for them, that's going to be, this statement's going to ring more true. For an introvert, it's a little bit different because their identity's not going to be so fused with the object. Mm. That's not where they're going to find it. They're going to find it in a more inner, inner realm. Yeah. In their relationship to what they're seeing. It's going to be more separated. From, from the actual objects of the world. There's going to be some distance between it. And in that way, this statement is not going to ring so true to them. You, you're not, I'm not the, as an introvert, I'm not the average. Other, those are other people. I am something separate and something more, there's an identity within. Yeah. And I, I find that somewhere else. I find that through my relationship with those things, but I'm not, I'm not as likely to to merge the two as an introvert I, i don't know maybe this is true for extroverts certain like certain extroverts as well but as an introvert i'd say that i'm much more interested in having being exposed to a wide variety of people because i learn something about myself in each of those interactions and i really don't bring like this doesn't resonate with me at all this whole you're the average of the five people because I'm not the average of the, uh, I'm not, you know, like I'm, I'd rather have, I understand the concept of you want to be surrounded by a certain type of people. And I think there's value in that, but there's also, I also like having a wide variety and being, uh, and interacting with people who are fundamentally super different than me and maybe people that I would never want to emulate, but because it gives me information on like, oh, okay, I wouldn't want that. You know, that's, I think that's how that shows up for me as an introvert. So this is the first layer, which is that we have to distinguish that for some people, this statement is going to feel more true than for others. Yeah. And that's going to be because of their 
how they relate with the world and how the object takes precedence over the subject. Yeah. And in that case, they may very well find themselves in the object. It may be, it may be much more important to them mm -hmm. than others. So depending on how extroverted, introverted you are, you may find more or less truth in this. Yes. So what we're saying here is basically that if you're in, an introvert, it's very likely that that statement's going to ring a little hollow to you, mm -hmm. uh, where, whereas it, it may not for others. Yeah. There's another thing that you get really upset when you hear about this. And this is, I think, where Lou is saying, dude, you're taking this way. Lou. Like, come <laughs> but, on. but this goes back to, I think, the, the power of the words we use. Yes. And we shouldn't be lazy. We should be very intentional about the words we use because they shape our reality. And yeah. the second one is that if we were the average of the five people we spent the most time with, we'd end up being this, this soup. Yeah. We're not an average. It's very reductionist. It's to, extraordinarily like, reductionist. To like, uh, and it's not because, oh, I, I'm, I'm too unique and I don't want to be like the, the average of other five people. It's just like, how do you even measure being the average of a person or of two persons? You know, like... You're reducing it to a number, yeah, right? Exactly. Which is why it's so easy to grasp onto this idea is like, oh, average, one, three, two, whatever. But yeah. we're not numbers. We're multifaceted. Yeah. We have all sorts of like, so you can spend time with people and they can bring out the worst in you. Yeah. And you can spend time with people and they can bring out the best in you. And you can spend time with people and they can help you discover new parts of you. Mm -hmm. But to say, like to just do this reductionist thing where we're, we're going to be the average of other people. Yeah. Like they are unique people with a with a story a history a certain makeup a certain like certain interests and certain skills and it's just like so simplistic to think that we could possibly be the average of somebody else and it, and and the problem here the bigger problem is i feel like it it really is a bit of a smoke and mirrors thing because it misdirects how we find our power right because You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Underneath this, and who this is going to be attractive for, are people who are looking to realize more of their potential, yes, right? Yes. Or are looking for some sort of success. Um, Maybe in a, in a measurable sense, too. Like, Yeah, that, uh, it's very attractive. For, for, this is why it's very attractive in business. It's because at the core of the idea, you've already reduced it to numbers. And so there is this suggestion that this, this makes sense in a financial setting, mm. that your net worth is the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And that actually probably has more truth in a way. Yeah, that might be actually, yeah. Yeah, but it seems like there's that underlying message because of the imagery of numbers. And, and I remember where I was at when this was attractive to me, and I was definitely searching for more financial success. Yeah. Get into that more in a minute. But I think if you're thinking about personal growth and realizing your potential, this is a dangerous idea because it points you away from where you're really going to find your power, which is in your own gifts, in what you have to offer, in the unique way you're constructed, the unique way you see the world and what you have to give to it. Yeah. And of course, this is probably going to ring a little more true for an introverted nature than an extroverted nature, hence why we did that whole thing first. Because what I'm saying may not be the truth for everyone, but for a, a definitely a subset. Like, this is said as a, a general truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we have to recognize that if you're going out and looking outward to be better, I think you're looking in the wrong direction a lot of the time. A lot of this stuff is coming inward, and that's where the authentic gift is going to come from. 
Okay, so we've talked about things on a more individual level. We've talked about how there's this whole introvert-extrovert thing, and this is a very extroverted statement that's only going to hold true to some people. Yeah. We've also, and if you're an introvert, you should know that. You want to know that because otherwise it can be confusing and misdirecting. Yeah, misleading, Mis- definitely. Exactly. And we've also talked about on a, on a more general level how this can actually blind us from finding our power by force, having us look outward instead of inward. Yeah. So now we're going to get into things that are a bit more uh, universal, things that kind of transcend the individual. And I think this is where this idea gets even more dangerous. Yeah, or at least this is where this idea points to a way we think about community and relationships and life and ourselves and our potential that I think is very harmful. And it starts with the fact that it's numbers-based, right? Because what it's suggesting is a market view of the world. Yes. And I'm I'm using kind of a comparison that's made in Lewis Hyde's book, The Gift, and he, in the whole book, he's kind of comparing two kinds of ways of organization. There's the gift model, which promotes community. And then there's the market model, which promotes competition. Yeah. And at the underneath the statement is the suggestion that we're numbers or the suggestion that we're going to increase our numbers or something around numbers. It's already suggesting a market view of the world. Yeah. And... It's suggesting competition because if I'm going to get into a group where I up my average, someone in that group has to lower their average. There is an inherent sense of win-lose in this kind of thing. So scarcity-based. Yes, and it's encouraging us to figure out what we can get in a way. Basically, what, I, what I'm worried about with this, and going into Lewis Hyde's work, he, he talks about how the gift... A couple things about the gift. He talks about how the gift uh, grows in value as it's given and how it gives more than than just whatever material is given. It gives a spirit. There's a spirit of the gift. Yeah. And this goes into creating community, it, this gift and the and it being passed around. And that that is part of what makes a community. And so he looks at a lot of market economies and a lot of traditionally gift-based economies and kind of explores the differences around community and around 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 that. And, and I think we can kind of, without going too deep into his work, we can get an idea just by looking at this example. Because once, if, if you're suggesting kind of a market view of this, it's like, okay, I got to get into a better group. And yeah. if anyone below me gets into a group, that's a loss for me. Yeah. You're always looking upward. You're always looking up the link to the next person and what you can get from someone else. And I experienced this on a very subtle degree in the community we had, which was business-based. Yeah. So this term was much was very attractive there. Yeah. And we had a hard time convincing people to stay in groups where they were on the top, uh, uh, they where they were on the higher level caliber-wise or yeah. status or, or success-wise, we'd lose people whenever they got there. So there was this, always this problem where, like, the group grows and the people that kind of float to the top with whatever metris, metrics of success no longer want to be in that group. Everyone's looking to be in the top group. Yeah. And What's that saying, the whole smartest person in the room thing? There's kind of a saying, it's like, 
you know, in 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 a personal growth sense, yeah, uh, you kind of want you want to be the dumbest person in the room, yeah. right? Like sometimes you hear a CEO say that, like about a business, like I want to be the dumbest person in the room. Yeah, doesn't work in a poker setting. There, you don't want to be the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting that there. That is when uh, you're the fish. Uh, but but in a personal growth setting. Like, there's this kind of sense that you want to be the dumbest person there. I got to say, like, all these things, once again, this is like, I'm coming to this idea from having never been exposed to it, or at least only very recently. But to me, I hear these ideas, and all I see are a bunch of white males in suits. (laughs) And their ideas of, how am I going to get the biggest amount of money? You know, like, and and how am I going to continue to grow my money and my pool of money that is mine? And I I honestly cannot, like, move away from that, and it, it... it's it's if you hear this saying this whole thing about like you have to be the dumbest person in the room it's like that's great for you because then you're gonna learn and grow and you're gonna keep evolving and it's awesome what about like giving back like how does that when do because if you're always the dumbest person in the room you're always taking something from other people that's kind of the mentality right yeah yeah and so before we get to the gift part of it I think you're totally right. It's very egocentric. It's very, what can I have? Me, I. And this is the problem we faced in the community we were building at the time, which is that we just kept running into this on a fundamental level because that's how we had, that was the ethos of of like how we brought people in in and everything. It's like everyone's trying to climb the ladder and get in a group where they can have some connections that are going to help and and there's just this there's this numbers sense behind the whole thing. It's like okay, well, I need to be with people that have more money so that I'll have more money and all, all this kind of thing. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's explicit. I'm not even saying it's completely conscious. Yeah. But from someone who is running a community around the ethos of you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, you have a major problem because no one wants to stay in a community they've outgrown. No one's looking to turn around and give back, or how or very few. Yeah. There are people that are more just uh, that are more inclined to do that. Or yeah. More, that are looking that way. But a lot, we're always looking at, I should be in that other group. I want to get in the next group. How do I get in the next group? And so no one's really trying, no one's giving their gifts to that community. That community is basically, there's always this turnover. There's always this churn, right? Yeah. And like, as the person grows through that community, they leave it. And I was going to say, it almost it almost feels like through that lens, it cannot exist. It's like we're talking about a system where you're like, we need to, it's basically apprenticeship, right? It's like this idea that, or mentorship. It's a, this idea that you're going to rub elbows with someone who's much smarter and much more experienced than you as a way to learn. But if no one is ever willing to be the mentor, soon there's not going to be any places for the apprentice to go. And we realized that late, like as, and, and, we started to try to, but it, already the spirit of the community mm. had kind of, it, it was tough to make that shift later. Yeah. Uh, and we started to have more resistance to it because that's not what people came for. Yeah. There's a great quote um, in Lewis Hyde's book that that kind of gets to something you're talking about, about the white men in suits. Yeah. Um, and I'd like, I'd like to share it here. He's talking about, so he talks about gift economies, uh, gift societies yeah. tend to be uh, matriarchal uh, because... In a lot of different ways, giving in a gift sense is related to the feminine. I just want maybe this is just a good place to give a visual for people because I found this to be quite helpful. In a patriarchal model of a society, you can imagine a triangle 
or pyramid with the men at the top. It's a hierarchy. And it's a hierarchy. In a matriarchal model of, of organizing cultures and societies, you can imagine a circle and there's the woman at the center or the, the mother at the center and every everyone is interconnected. There's no one better than the other and the gifts flow to the middle and then flow back out to the outside. The, the circle has no end, so there's no like rank. Lewis, right? Lewis Hyde pointed out, and he actually mapped some of the, the trajectories of gifts in indigenous tribes, I think in Indonesia or in that New Guinea in that area of the world. Yeah. And they, they would actually flow in a circle. Yeah. Uh, and there would be gifts going in both directions. So you'd have one going clockwise and one counterclockwise. Yeah. When you gave something, it was disconnected from what you would get. There, you, there was, it was not like you couldn't compare because you were going to be getting something potentially. There would be two types of gifts too. Yes. So you'd be being given something that was coming from the other way mm-hmm. and you would give something going the other way. And so it was kind of this whole transactional market thing was completely kind of blocked or, or avoided because, and it made it very spiritual in a way because you, you gave without knowing what you'd receive and you received whatever you got. And so it's a very different spirit yeah. when you have that instead of like giving it's like, Oh, well this needs to be, and often the gifts, the gifts were not given at the same time mm-hmm. and the timing was staggered too. So you didn't exactly know when you'd receive them. So all these things meant it was an actual gift yeah. and you couldn't trace it back to another gift or, or do this kind of cost analysis or whatever. Yeah. And it's definitely a system. If you, I, I really like this circle versus pyramid because in a pyramid, it's really clear that the direction is linear. It's either you go up or you go down and, and you're always going to have to go up and push someone down to take their place because there's only a limited there's amount. There's smaller space it, at the yeah. top. But in, in a circle, you can feel, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's not as obvious, but when I think of a circle versus a linear progression, cyclical feels a lot more uh, equitable or, you know, it's like I give something and I don't expect anything, but I know that in some ways, at some point in, in the next cycle, I will get something and I can never know what I'll get. But it's like, there's also a bigger spiritual sense of, I do not know what I'm going to get, but I trust that I'm going to get exactly what I need for my, my personal spiritual growth. But in this model, we're talking the about resources numbers. or whatever is being given is redistributed yes. through the whole, right? Yes. In a circle. Yeah. A hierarchy is often exploitative, right? It exploits from further down. You yes. just need to think about a pyramid scheme or these kind of, you know, marketing schemes or whatever, you exploit down the the chain, yes. right? Yes. And in a way, you could make the connection. I mean, these are natural systems of organization. And we don't need to, like, bash on the hierarchy as not being, like... There's value. There's in value it in it. And if you look in human evolution and also animal evolution, usually, it like, what happens is the men form a hierarchy, right? And the men, this is how they prove their worth. And this is the the hierarchy. The the women skim off the top of the hierarchy as far as mating. Yeah. And what would happen is that the men at the top reproducing their genes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Make sure. And so this was a system, a value system that the female line actually picked from. And so that's one way you can think about this dynamic as far as evolution. Yeah. Okay. So getting back to this idea of you mentioned earlier, it sounds like a bunch of white people in suits. Well, here's a quote. Uh, it's in Lewis, it's Lewis Hyde's book. 
And it's a, a woman executive offering uh, what he called a typical word of advice to women who read the style pages of the New York Times. And this was a couple decades ago. Yeah. So think about a woman entering the man's world, right? Yeah. And, and trying to be successful there. And she says this. And I think this gets at the spirit of this phrase, although obviously it's taking it very far. Quote, women on the way up should avoid associating with unsuccessful turkeys, even if they happen to be friends. Leaving your friends behind isn't disloyalty. You're going to be judged by the company you keep. Seek out the people who can help you. Men have known this for years, and we are playing in their arena. That breaks my heart, honestly. Like, it does. It really does. Like, in my whole body, it breaks my heart to hear that. Because it's like... This is definitely, obviously, taking this this sentence. But it's, this, this, it's the same, the seed of the same idea. It is. It is the same thing, and I think this is where I get really interested in this saying because I think it's harmful on a maybe a small community level because as as you had experience with, it's problematic because then the people at the top want to leave because they're no longer getting anything out of it. And so it involves this whole taking instead of giving, or there's no, there's no give and take, there's no give and receive. It's just, I'll take from you and then I'll get to the top and uh, I'll see you, I'll see you later. Bye. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's like very, that very self-focused. If whatever, not that there isn't giving that happens, but it's given and kind of a looking to to get up yes right? yes like, it's very self interested yeah. and and uh it's very transactional transactional is a good word but i think i think like if even if you go if you look beyond those small communities that idea that we've been exploring for this episode also shows the fundamental problems in our societal structure because I think like this is bigger than just what happens in small communities. This is we act as like a whole as if we know how to measure what people are going to bring in our life. And then we only operate from that that place. And I'm just like, well, no wonder we're in a society where, as just an example, the old generation gets put in homes while we continue to hustle, you know, and I'm not saying anyone has a, like that it's easy choice to make. Like my grandmother had to be put in a home because none of her kids had the time to actually welcome her into their home and take care of her. I get that. But it's as a society, it is quite interesting because in our sense of measuring success and, and numbers and all that, there is no way to measure. We don't have a an optimal way to measure what an older person will bring into our life if we continue to hang out and spend time with them and take care of them in return of what they did for us. This gets into an interesting idea, I think, because I have to go back to Lewis Hyde's work for a moment because it's so incredibly profound in yeah. some ways. And one of the things he looks at and his exploration of, of giving and gifts is usury. And usury is uh, basically ancient usury um, was basically them a recognition of the value of a gift, right? If you give a gift, it grows. Mm. And so ancient usury was basically like, you can imagine like if you give a bushel of wheat, that wheat uh, used for, for either planting next year's harvest or whatever grows. Yeah. There's a natural element of growth there. And so it was a way to kind of give outside of your community and and basically recognize the growing power of the gift mm -hmm. and say, hey, if I give you a bushel of wheat this year, 
you need to give me two bushels next year because that's the, the nature of the gift. It grows. And it, that was related to actual nature as this stuff grows out of the ground and it gets bigger. Yeah. And so usury in its more ancient form was this idea of capturing the added value of gift or at least part of the added value. And, and it was basically saying, hey, if I give you this, I need to receive the value of that gift now because you don't live by the same God as me. And I can't trust that that gift is going to rotate within the boundaries of, of a community. Yeah. You're outside the community. And therefore, I need to make sure that value stays with inside the community. Yeah. General idea. I'm paraphrasing here. If you want to explore more of these ideas, I really recommend you read Lewis Hyde's book, The Gift. And later on, that turned into like charging interest and, and we get into to more predatory forms. Yeah. Uh, but that missed, even that idea only captures one as the material value of the gift. Yeah. But there are other values of a gift that circles. There's what, what would be called kind of the spirit of the gift. It creates something. It creates connections, bonds. If you're given something... You have a relationship with that person, which is why if you don't want to have a relationship with your parents or if there's someone in your life you don't have a relationship with, you know instinctively, do not accept gifts from that person yeah. because that creates a bond. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's this also this sense that a gift that flows grows and it benefits everyone within that community. Well, a great example of that is just to keep with that idea of the bushel of wheat. If you give wheat to your neighbors not only are they going to be able to reimburse you next year with the same amount or more because they will have like nature will have created more abundance from that but it's going to go to feed a family that you have a relationship with it's going to go to feed the kids in that family and then later you don't know if maybe that kid will be the one that ends up taking care of your horse when it's sick or you know like you don't know the kind of growth that you're fostering when you give a gift and you have no way of knowing and it also is fostering a growth within you right you the giver benefits from giving yeah as well and i think this gets back to what you're saying about like measuring you can't you just can't measure the value of a gift I don't know for every we I don't think we can get to a point where we can measure the value of giving and, and of a gift economy. It doesn't work by that those rules, which is why uh kind of naturally anywhere that's a gift economy, like for example, and he makes this connection in the book, is that a lot of a lot of traditionally female jobs, which are more in the realm of gift giving, they're not paid as much. And part of that is because He said, okay, yeah, there is exploitation of the, the gender gap, right? Yeah. That, that's a thing. But his point, his assertion is that if you were able to pull that exploitation out, yeah. you would still have a gap between market economy, more places where it's more transactional and where you can quant like quantitatively value yeah. uh, what's the exchange because there's two things of value and you can measure them yeah. versus places where a gift economy works better. Like, for example, taking care of the sick or taking care of the young or yeah. teaching, right? Yeah. Like, these places are still going to be paid less or valued less because giving doesn't operate by those rules. 
Yeah, it's it's this idea of number that we keep coming back to, this idea of I can't be the average of the five people I hang out with because I am not a number and neither are they and our relationship cannot be measured in numbers. It's a it's a very narrow It's so narrow. It's not only is it a narrow vision of you, it's like of your worth, is like okay, now somehow you have to be on a number scale, right? Yeah. But it's suggesting that you think about other people that way too. And so, like, all of a sudden, you're thinking about someone's like, okay, he's a 10 and I'm a 7, and I want to hang out with him because he's a 10. Yeah. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. That and is it's, ridiculous. It's incredibly narrow, and it's incredibly distracting in a couple ways. And first off, in finding our worth, which we already talked about, but it's also not encouraging community because, and I think an essential part of that, is that it does not encourage real gift giving. It encourages some sort of transactional helping and posturing, yes. right? Like that's that, and that can be really helpful. And like, definitely there's that aspect of it. Yeah. And, and we saw that in, in the communities we're leading is that can actually create quite a lot of wealth in, in, in a group as well. So it's, it's not like that there isn't value in that yeah. or that yeah. there isn't a place for it. There it's is, true. but, but it doesn't encourage giving in in more broad ways or giving and and i think this is sad because we don't realize we also if we bring it down reduce it to these numbers right it means we're looking at it in numerical ways and only certain things can be valued in numerical ways so all of a sudden like uh, a lot of stuff's off the table and we're not in my in my opinion probably some of the most important stuff are off the table. Yeah. That's the, that, that is what, that is the problem that I have, not particularly with that sentence, but what it seems to imply about the way we operate as a larger community of humans living in an organized society altogether is because we can't measure it, we're absolutely discarding some of the most important thing. Taking care of the sick, taking care of the young, mothering, t- taking care of your home, like all these things. There's no place for that in a market economy. And underappreciating the gifts that everyone has to give, yes. right? Because there's all sorts of gifts that can be offered and you don't know what they are, right? Like this is going back to that idea of like there's two circles, uh, uh, like if they're in gift giving tribes or they're giving to other tribes and it creates a larger community and there's like a circle of gifts going clockwise and a circle of gifts going counterclockwise and they go in different years. So like it's, it's really, you can't connect the two. Yeah. Well, I think there's something similar that happens if you think about gift giving within a community of people, uh, like if you're giving to a child, right? Like, or if you're helping a child or an elderly or, or, or whatever, they have a different set of gifts and they're going to come at a different timing. It's not going to be transactional, but you don't like, I think we're really undervaluing or underestimating what they have to offer. Right. We're kind of saying they become a lot less valuable or more like in our minds, worthless. Yeah. And it, it kind of promotes this idea too, of like, it's a jungle out there. You know, it's like the weak will get eliminated because they have nothing to contribute. And one example in my life where I'm like, that has been that has been so powerful is the people whose land we used to live on when we had the the caravan, my aunt and uncle. They're not blood aunt and uncle, but I've known them my whole life. They have two autistic sons and they are slightly older than me. And I grew up with them like they're I saw them more than my actual cousins. And I've spent so much time with them at different ages. 
and still to this day, they are some of the people I love to hang out the most, the most with. And one of them is not really able to form any coherent sentences. And he's just kind of like gets really excited and feels life very intensely. And he watches Disney movies all day. He's like 28, almost 30 now. And he's, but he's, he's one of the most awesome person that I know. They both are. And by that line, there, there's no place for that. Like if, if, if you live in a society that operates with, the, with this kind of thinking, there is no place for that. And the gifts that those people are going to bring into your life, they can't be measured. So they don't have a place at the table. Yeah. So I think this idea when it's used in communities, like I ended up doing earlier in my life is destructive. Yeah. It's, it's actually not community fostering at the core of it is kind of a rotten apple as far as if you really want to build community this is a bad idea you're going to build a surface community a community that's gonna... you're going to build a networking group yes exactly that's a great way to to say it yes yeah. you're going to build and that's what we ended up doing in yeah. a lot of ways and i'm not saying there weren't valuable community aspects but at the core we had a problem and but i think and i think this is also a great place to say like there's nothing wrong with networking groups no, like they, 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 have they, break, they have their place. But when they're presented as community, I feel like this word gets thrown around so much these days. And I get really pissed off at that because it's like, no, what you're building right now is not a community. This is this is not this is a bunch of people who are doing the same thing, getting together. For me, in my head, a community is something much vaster that includes a wide variety of people. And we don't have to be in close contact with everyone all the time. It's, yeah. it's and bigger there, than and, that. And there's a there's a sense that the gift circles, yes. right? The yes. gift is distributed. And I think, you know, in previous cultures, it was very common for status to be gained by giving away what you had. Mm. And the West, especially in the U.S., has just flipped the script on this. All of a sudden now, you gain status by what, by what you have, mm-hmm. but not, not so much by giving it away. And it's, I think it's, it's, a major, it's a major, major shift, yeah. right? And I think we're feeling that in a lot of ways. You know, you can look at a lot of the things going on in the world right now, uh, you know, 99% or the 1% kind of thing and what's going on in France right now. And you have a lot of this problem is that like somehow this has shifted from giving the gift to taking the gift. And so there's this sense in a true community that the gift flows and that's, and it grows. And so everyone kind of benefits from that. And there's this sense in this other thing that I think that this you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. This is more an idea of hierarchy. This is more an idea of competition, of win and lose and 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 take yeah. and, and posturing and positioning. And there's places for that. Like if you really want to be like mega rich and successful, you probably need to do that. You probably need to go up that ladder. I mean that's one way, right? I'm not yeah. saying it's the only way, but that way that way does work. It's proven. You lose a lot uh by it. But I think this also irks us a bit because we're trying to live from a different philosophy and it's one that I, I truly believe in yeah. and which is that the real hallmark of success, I mean, it's on your computer here. This comes from uh, Gaping Void, mm. uh, which is Hugh McLeod is the artist there, but it's a, it's a team and, and they do a bunch of inspirational art and uh, we love them. And uh, they do like laptop decals with some of Hugh's art um, and he's amazing. And uh, the one that's on your laptop uh, yeah. is the minute you learn how to give is the minute you become successful. 
And this goes back to that more ancient idea of status being in what you are able to give away and yeah. in, in redistributing the wealth that you have, have earned or created. And I really believe that. And I've seen it in our own lives as, as we've shifted to this model. And I spent a lot of time in my 20s living from the other one is that I really do think it's true. I think we've become much more successful. Life has become much more rich. There's a spirit to it that I didn't used to have. And it's come through looking, how can I give? What are my gifts? Mm -hmm. What's inside that I have to give that's unique to me that I can give to others? And, And how do I pass that around? And how do I keep it going? All these ideas that this, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, just Co- misdirects you from at, at least yeah. if it's if it's not like it just I think it, it it's it hides some things it misdirects you well I think what we're getting at here is that this this line this you're not you're the average of the five people you spend time with and like oh I want to be the dumbest person in the room and this kind of stuff that speaks to a very particular idea of success or a very particular definition of success that I don't agree with I don't know if I've ever fully agreed with it, but now I'm like, no, I don't agree with it at all. I think this is an idea of success of like success means what you have and how much you can hoard and how much that money works for you and how much you can have for you and your your close network of like family and stuff. But I think we're trying to more and more operate from a new definition of success of success means feeling like we're redistributing things and making the flow of life circle and cycle through us and and to other people and back to us and being in this economy of that includes a wider range of people uh, maybe people who are never going to get any, we're never going to get anything back from those people that's fine because maybe we don't have to get something directly back from them maybe in giving we got a valuable lesson to those people you know like it's it's different and the health of a society is a gift right as well so like when we're able to redistribute that wealth around and when we're able to give you don't need to receive it back from the person you gave it to that's true as it passes that that also lifts all like that's the tide that lifts all boats right yes that's how we all kind of grow and how life gets better for everyone and and i think you're right i think at the bottom that this is an idea of success that i personally have lived from and i found it to be pretty barren i found it to be pretty pretty uh, malnourished. I think barren is a great word. I mean, I remember times where I was maybe more operating from that notion because I didn't know there was other notions. That's probably why. It feels dead. It feels It feels like it really feels dead. I felt lifeless. There isn't any creativity in it. Everything is already kind of valued and it's just kind of a, a trade and you try to get yours and it's a transactional thing and, yeah. and, and there's values been put on everything. And, it, and I think... It ignores a lot of the magic that can happen if you're able to bring this idea of giving back in, into your life. And that's something that you and I are working very hard to do. And it's, I, I think it's hard. I think it's something we're, we're definitely still very much in the process of trying to shift to a life that is about giving. I feel like to me, this podcast is a part of that. A lot of the work we do these days, it's like I give and I don't exactly know how I'm going to receive, but I do kind of see that the relationship where it's like the more I learn how to give, you know, the more I am taken care of in in a way. And it's a lot more it feels a lot more connected. And honestly, 
it's just a, it's a nicer way to live. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you. This was a this was an interesting one. We felt a little bit more on the the frontier. Yeah, we actually. I feel like we went in directions that we didn't necessarily plan on going, and I, we try to go with that flow whenever we can because those might be the opportunities for new ideas to emerge out of us that I, we haven't thought about. Yeah. Yeah, but I think this is kind of a window into where this life is taking us to, and some of the conclusions we're coming to. Um, as we go yeah and uh, yeah I had a lot of fun this is a good one yeah me too if you want to support this podcast please there are three different ways you can do it the first way is you can share this episode or any other episode that you've really enjoyed share it with a friend share it with your community pass that, on the gift that's the principal way that this grows yes and uh, I think we all benefit when we do that so it's I a lot of fun so too yeah second way you can support this podcast is by leaving us a review we'd love to hear what you think about it it's so great to hear it in your words oh it's so awesome like beyond words it's so cool yeah so, so if cool. you've been hanging around here for a little while just take a moment it only takes a minute just write down a few things we we know for a fact because we have the numbers we know that a lot of you are out there listening probably have listened for a long time and we really appreciate your support in that way Go ahead and leave us a little review. It, it, it would be awesome to hear from you. And the last way that you can support us, it's supporting us on Patreon. You can do so at the $3 level, starting at the $3 level. We have a few different packages. You'll get access to all the goodies we put out there. We try to post at least once a month, but we're planning on doing a bit more of that these uh, in the next in the next few months. We got some good content just around the corner, and we got a lot already in the bag. Yes. So I think you're going to find a lot there. If you find these conversations interesting, you're going to find more interesting stuff. Yeah. And in different formats too. We got a we got a little ebook there. We do some videos. We do a lot of different stuff. And this podcast takes a team of four yes. to, to put together. So any money you put toward it, even $3 a month, is really, really helpful. It's really, really valuable. And it all keeping goes this back going. into the podcast. Yep. All helps goes us back. do more. It helps us improve the podcast. And dedicate more energy to this because we are really passionate about what we're sharing here. So head on over to patreon.com slash the far out couple. I think that's it. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.